Good evening and welcome to Pop Culture Double Date. After a brief hiatus, Pop Culture Double Date is back with Darren, Gerald, Maggie and Anija. Say hello everyone. Hello. Hello. Hello everyone. And uh, yeah, like uh, we are talking tonight about the Batman, um, the new Batman film with Robert Pattinson that is unrelated to any of the previous Batman films and also unrelated to the Batflick Justice League Batman. So yeah, it's another sort of, I guess, soft reboot of the franchise. Uh, but I would say it's a pretty familiar soft reboot of the franchise. Um, so tonight we are going to go around the table and everyone is going to let us know whether we like this film or not, whether it was a recommended film or not. And then everybody is going to let me know one point that they really enjoyed about the film and one point that they really disliked about the film, and then we're going to have a roundtable discussion about those points. And if there's anything else that we want to discuss, any other points we want to discuss, after we've gone through that first roundtable, we can pick up any additional points of discussion. So why don't we start? I'm going to shoot through to Mags. Mags, did you like Robert Pattinson's... Well, actually, it's Matt Reeves, the Batman, but, you know, Robert Pattinson is Batman. Did you like the new Batman film and uh, what's something you liked about it and what's something you disliked about it? Shoot. Okay. So overall, I liked it. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I liked it. The one thing that I liked about it was the first half of the movie because I thought it was um, really well-paced, narrative-driven and cohesive storyline. Um, and I also love the film noir quality and style um, to the filming. Um, the one thing I didn't like was the length of the movie. I think it was almost three hours long, and um, by about two and a half hours, I was ready to go. Okay. Okay. Nice. Anija, did yep, you like I really this? Liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, what I thought it was at the time I was watching it, I thought it was one of the best uh, superhero movies that I'd seen. I would recommend it. I think what I really liked about it is actually um, the vibe that Robert Pattinson created. That sort of dark, intriguing, tortured but not like overly uh, annoyingly tortured kind of vibe that he created. Um, what I didn't like about it is also the length, and I think they could have um, just cut out the whole romance. So even though the romance was fine, I don't have to get to it. It was good. Second, they had good chemistry. I think we could have just taken that out and then honoured the audience's time. Um, yeah, yep, okay. Movie. That's fair. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. Jerry? I loved it. I really, it. really lo- loved this movie. Okay, loved it. I, Jerry I is a love. Okay. Yeah. This is uh, this is probably top of the pops, close to the top of the pops, duking it out with the Dark Knight for me in terms of um, the pecking order of live action Batman movies. Um, the one thing I liked about it was that tonally, visually, and um, even narratively, this was the most faithful version of Batman, and by faithful I mean faithful to um, at least the post nineteen eighty six 
um, comic version of Batman. And yeah. I've been waiting my whole life to see something like that. And this movie thoroughly delivered on that front. Uh, the one thing uh, that I've got to dock marks, marks uh, for is the fact that um, this movie, um, as good as it is, is beat for beat a massive ripoff of Seven. And okay. um, the overwhelming feeling one leaves with, with this in, when you step out of the cinema is that was awesome and would be so much better if it was in a beat-for-beat, shot-for-shot, almost shot-for-shot remake of Seven. Yep. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. So what did I think? I like this film. And to be honest, I think this is a film that will grow on me. Um, if I, I mean, here's the thing, right? I... Walked out of this film and I was... I thought this was a good film, a decent film, right? But I think the big negative for me, like with Mags um, and Anager, was the length. I I thought it was way too long. Um, But having said that, on reflection, like after sort of walking out of the cinema and thinking about it, this is actually a film that I kind of want to watch again. (laughs) I know, so like... I guess I felt it was good, but it's also a film that I kind of want to watch again. And I feel like it's a film that if I watched again, there'd be other things that I'd pick up on, right? So, yeah, to that extent, um, yeah, like, I thought it was a good film. I probably didn't love it as much as Jerry did. I still think that The Dark Knight is a better film. Um, But, yeah, I thought it was a a pretty good Batman film. Um... What did I... Okay, so what, what did I like... What did I like... Like about this film? Um, it, I, I think it, it's got to do... It, it's similar to what Jer, Jerry's point, which is that... I, I think it does a really good job of... Um, having... Sort of balancing that sort of Christopher Nolan-style real aesthetic with kind of like the comic book aesthetic it never tips too far into either either part right like it never feels so grounded to be like you know well whether you know if it, like nolan's batman films do at certain points feel too grounded and it never feels like too comic booky right it never feels like the joel schumacher like batman films either right so i think it does a, like a really good tonal balance of those things and I, I agree i think that is actually the big strength of it um i think um the other thing that i'll add as a well i don't know if it's a negative but it's it's kind of like maybe it's a negative right i thought thematically this film was very um familiar <laughs> there were moments of like massive deja vu throughout this film where i was like haven't we kind of already had Batman films that have kind of discussed these themes before. And I I know it's Batman, so I guess you're kind of recycling some of these things. But yeah, there were definitely like, there were bits that were totally, totally felt um, a bit too familiar. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a horrible thing, but it's definitely something I've noticed. And I think it'd be nice, it'd be interesting to talk about. So, okay. So that's everyone's opinions on the Batman generally liked one three likes one love so that's pretty good why don't we start then with um with uh the, the first point well Mags made a double point which I think Gerald could have sort of um hit on as well which is 
I think the the narrative and the style, right? So, like, let, let's d- delve into that a little bit more. Um, Mags, why don't you? What did you love about the narrative here? And then maybe Gerald can talk about like why that narrative was too much like seven. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what I enjoyed about the narrative in the first half of the movie was you start pretty much in the, it feels like in the middle of the story, Batman is already established. Um, and you start at, at the first crime really. And then it just builds and it's quite relentless in that pace and in the accumulation of the mystery. Yeah. And I feel like it kind of climaxes right at the, what is his name? Come on, Falcon. Uh, Falcone or Coulson? Um, the the DA. The DA, okay, the bomb guy. Yeah, the bomb guy. I feel like to me... Yeah, Gil Coulson. Gil Coulson, that's it. The climax of that really um, amazing, relentless narrative um, happens um, in the church when he goes, you know, he the car is driven into the church and then he stumbles out and you then... Um, uh, see that it's him and he's been, you know, strapped to a bomb. I feel like that's the scene where it climaxed. And then after that, it started to um, tumble away and became less about this kind of um, thriller mystery, crime thriller slash mystery, and then became, I suppose, but it felt like a slightly different story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they just did that really well, starting it in the middle um, having this kind of bang, bang, bang of each um, murder, and you have this assumption that the audience goes in and they know who Batman is. They have a sense of the law or at least exposure to um, to the superhero and to um, a sense of his backstory as well. So I think they did, they did that really well, plus the filming itself, the film noir kind of style, and it had a kind of cyberpunk edge to it, some of the scenes, and I really liked that, and I thought the, the music really suited that style too. Yeah, okay. Let, let's let's unpack that. So, actually, one thing that I've forgotten to say is that typically with our podcast, we go through a brief plot rundown and then I say something about how it's a full spoilers podcast. It's a full spoilers podcast. We're not going to go through the, <laughs> the plot rundown. We're just going to talk about this film, okay? I'm sorry if, like, any of our long-time listeners, I don't know, a handful of them, I guess... I apologise for that. I forgot. (laughs) Yeah, I I forgot to say this is a full spoilers podcast. But I'm not going to go through the part of the Batman. You should go watch this film, right? But we're just going to talk about the meat and potatoes of this film. So to your point, Mags, I 100% agree with you that, like, I think the front end of this film is like you use the term relentless, and I 100% agree with that because the, the feeling I got watching this film was similar to the feeling I got watching The Dark Knight. It was kind of like your adrenaline was kind of up for a lot of this film, right? Like, And I think for me, part this kind of ties into the length issue because like, it doesn't really work if your adrenaline's up for a full three hours, right? Like, so they got, did get to a point where I was just a little bit like, okay, this is the level of intensity here that is running for a little bit too long. Um, so, yeah, like, definitely this film feels relentless. But I also agree with you that, like, that narrative, I feel, I agree with you. I think it builds to a peak at the Gil Coulson thing, and then it sort of shifts into this whole sub-story about Thomas Wayne and Bruce Wayne and 
this and look, I, I I get like you can you can make the argument why why that is like a plot essential beat that you have to talk about, you know, Thomas Wayne's history and all of that. But in my mind, it kind of like this that bit kind of dragged on. And then it came back into the central murder mystery with the murder of Carmine Falcone. And then it had this whole other act at the back end of it, which is the whole Riddler resolution thing, right? So, like, yeah, so I guess that for me, like, for me, that narrative felt like it dragged on too much. I felt like there could have been some sort of editing with this film that kind of packed down that narrative a little bit, so it was a little bit more, a little bit tighter. As it stood, I'd left that film feeling like that narrative would have been better told in like a miniseries or something like that, you know, like a three or four part miniseries, because it almost felt like there were all these distinct parts in the movie that they did want to spend more time on. But because of the constraints of a movie, they were just like, well, I guess we've just got to go through it. Right. And yeah. So anyway, that, that was kind of like my feel of the narrative. Um, Anager, Jerry, like, what were your what were your thoughts on that narrative? Do you, do you agree, disagree? Gerald, go ahead. Look, I, I don't think the film climaxes with the Gil Coulson in the cathedral um, scene. I, that, that, for me, wasn't the high point of the story of the film because I actually quite enjoyed the movie delving into... Um, the history of the Waynes in the Arkhams and the backstory of Thomas Wayne's campaign for the mayoralty of Gotham City and the ill-fated turn it took when press reports uh, started coming out about Martha Arkham's or Martha Wayne's uh, Martha Wayne's um, history of mental illness. I thought I thought that was all intriguing, and I thought that was where the movie took a turn towards. Um, a Chinatown-style, um, twisty, urban corruption, film noir thriller type thing, and so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mind that at all. Um, uh, and I did, I did. Well, I agree with everyone that the the um, ending at Gotham Square Garden with um, the uh, Riddler's followers. Um, being inspired to engage in uh, a, a spectacular act of mass murder, including taking out the mayor-elect of Gotham City, um, felt like one act too many in this movie. But having said that, stepping away from it and reflecting upon it some more, um, it's absolutely necessary for for the arc of Batman slash Bruce Wayne in this movie because he has to go from being um, the symbol of vengeance to a symbol of hope in Gotham City. And he only gets to that point if he can rescue all these people in the midst of this grand crisis rather than just beating the shit out of people. So um, so even though it felt... It, it, at the time, it felt superfluous or excessive, but it, it's actually kind of necessary as well. And one of the dilemmas of watching this movie is it's all very well complaining about the length of it, but it's actually really hard to see what you take away, what you cut I out. I told you what you now, take away. No, I think... <laughs> so, Anisha. Go, Anisha. Actually, but again, I actually think it's... It, it, that, that's... that's um, 
easier said than done because the Selena Kyle story intersects with Bruce Wayne's at very important points in the movie. I mean, that she is the point of entree into the entire world of um, the 44 Club, which is the club within the club inside the Iceberg Lounge. Um, and so without Selena Kyle, you don't get um, an, an entree into the world of Gil Coulson. Without Selena Kyle, you don't get the mystery of what happened to Annika and the payoff that comes with knowing that um, Annika was murdered by Carmine Falcone. So even though um, things seem as if they add to the blurt of this film, in some ways the movie is quite an intricately constructed Jenga block tower, such that if you take one part of it, you're going to have to do a lot of radical surgery in order to reconstitute what remains. Um, and so even though there, there are, the complaints about its length are completely legitimate, um, the, my experience of this movie is that there's, there's actually very little that feels wholly and entirely inessential. So oh. my complaint about the, the narrative isn't isn't about its length or its bloat. It's as I said, and we can get to this in due course. The the sort of similarity um, and derivativeness when you see uh, when you see you set this film up in comparison to something like Seven. Okay, Anija, why don't you tell us what needs to be cut from this film? <laughs> can I first? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll happily tell you. But you know, can I just first say that narratively, I found it quite disappointing um i don't know if, if, if it was um repeat like if you feel like you've experienced these themes before but i really enjoyed like the theme of you know no one is good like everyone is kind of dirty and evil and in it for themselves and violent when they want to be and the world is kind of awful like i liked that they set that up and i really liked that it came to a head with finding out that bruce wayne's father and the um you know charitable fund that he set up you know was all you know all, all fit within that as well that they were also flawed and that they'd also been dirty um and then i liked that and then it seemed to just all come crashing down um and i was kind of disgusted because they seemed to then it's like they backtracked it's like they went so far as to make Bruce Wayne's dad dirty, and then they backtracked on it. And I just thought the backtracking was stupid because at the end of the day, no intelligent doctor goes to a mob boss and says to them, can you please do something about this guy and doesn't expect that guy to end up dead. Like, that is nonsense. Um, and yet they try to backtrack on that and actually go you know, that he really didn't want to kill him. He just wanted him paid off or he just wanted, you know, him scared a little bit. And you, you can't have it both ways. And it was weird how they did that. And then they tried to give him this um, motive for what he did that was meant to be okay, which was that he was protecting his fat. Well, I'm sorry, but that's, that, that's not... That's not a good enough motive. We shouldn't be in the land of some motives are okay for murder and other motives are not okay for murder. Like, that's really dodgy. And it was really weird to see this movie that had been, um, I thought, painting a very bleak and, in my eyes, realistic picture of humanity, suddenly do this, this, this sort of spin back. And because it did the spin back, Bruce Wayne never really had to deal 
with the fact that his father was dirty. And I would have liked to have seen that given that he spent his entire life beating up poor people um, because, you know, he's trying to clean the streets of filth. Like, I would like to see what impact that would have had on him to find out that his father too was dirty. And we didn't really get that resolution because of that, that the, the weird way the narrative shifted. Um, and then they also took this interesting, like, serial killer uh, thing where we were working out the puzzle pieces and the puzzles were a bit stupid but they were fun and then again it all just kind of collapsed because the one shot that the um the riddle is it is it the riddler yeah the riddler mm-hmm. yeah the that, that was shot, a villain <laughs> the one shot the riddler has to take down batman who it turns out is the biggest of all his nemeses is like the weakest attempt he makes to kill somebody. It's like a letter bomb. It's the, <laughs> the weakest attempt in this entire thing that the Riddler makes to actually... Uh, sorry, sorry. It should take down Bruce Wayne. Uh, and I thought... Uh, so much so that I thought he's not actually trying to kill him. He's just trying to get his attention. Because that didn't make any sense, given how elaborately and how, you know, uh, big time he went to take everybody else down. It didn't make sense that he sent him a letter bomb. As, and that was his great nemesis. And it also didn't make sense that Bruce Wayne like was the the biggest target just because he was an orphan that had money. Like I just don't think that was remotely under like relatable or like believable. Yeah, it, so it felt like. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I think with Bruce Wayne, it felt like they needed to tack that on. This is this is why yeah. I felt like. Look, I, I get your point that to like. Him. Yeah, they wanted to involve him, right? And this is why, in my mind, it's kind of like, if you're going to open the Thomas Wayne can of worms, right? Like, basically, in opening that can of worms, all these, as I said, all these worms started coming out, which is kind of like, well, why are you really targeting Bruce Wayne then? Thomas Wayne is dead. And then, you know, is it really that easy to just kind of resolve that Thomas Wayne wasn't really that bad a guy? Like, I mean, look, but to to Gerald's point, I think some of those narrative... (sighs) It is actually quite intricately connected because I guess one of the things that you're meant to feel about the Riddler is that, because I think the film sets it up so that you do feel sympathy for the Riddler at certain Mm. points, right? Because it's like, oh, what he's doing is not necessarily, I mean, he's, he's killing people, which is bad, right? But like, he's taking out genuinely kind of bad people, right? But I, I guess kind of what the film is trying to say is that like, yeah, like, you you might be this sort of, like, guy who thinks that you've seen past the deep state and can see all of the connection points, but reality is not always aligned to those theories, and I guess the film was kind of trying to say that, well, you know, sometimes you're right, but sometimes you're actually really, really wrong as well, and in kind of taking these crazy steps, like, you are persecuting the innocent as well as the guilty. Right. So, and I get that's kind of why they needed to back off on the whole Thomas Wayne thing. But at the same time, I also agree with you, Anna Jo, that it did seem like a cop out, right? Where it's kind of like, okay, Mm. you're pursuing this angle. Well, okay, I understand why you're doing it to the service to your theme. But from a plot perspective, it does feel like a massive cop out because really the way they resolve that is that Alfred just says to Bruce, trust me, your dad wasn't dirty. And Bruce is like, Okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's stupid. Yeah. I really, um, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, um, one thing which I really liked, just sort of related to it, is 
how Batman starts out, you know, with he's been he's been well Bruce Wayne's been Batman now for about two years and he and he's unclear whether or not what he's doing is making a difference. Um, but then and you know, there's that iconic line, I am vengeance that he says to and mm. now can't remember who he said it to, um, but he said it. But then that line is repeated at the end of the movie by one of Riddler's goons. And throughout the movie, you kind of see his progression where he realises over time that perhaps this kind of drive that he's had, this motivation to avenge his father, um, may not actually be the right motivation. Um, so I really, I do like that kind of character progression. You, you can actually see that happening. Yeah, I, I yeah I agree with that. I I think like when we talk about theme, I think that is actually the one theme that feels different from the Nolan films. There's a lot of themes that are similar to kind of the Nolan films, um, and I feel like that I am vengeance bit, I is touched on in the Nolan films, but it's I think in this film it's done better and like it's it it fits better in this film. But anyway, yeah, Anager. Tell us about Catwoman and why she should have been completely cut from this film. Like, I, I really did think she was, she was great, and I thought um, that the chemistry was there, and it was good, but it just made the film too long, and I just disagree that she was she was pivotal, because if, basically Bruce Wayne could have played that role. He could have been going to that club. He could have been hobnobbing mm, with those people. That's Why true. That's true. To say that it was pivotal. Like, I can think of about five different ways I could have rewritten this so that all the plot points necessary to the well, story without her was, was still hit. So, well, true. <laughs> Rob Pattinson, Bruce Wayne, probably could not have gained access to the 44 Below Club, but Bruce Wayne as millionaire, billionaire playboy could have, right? Yes. Because Rob Pattinson mm. didn't play him as... Pin- like billionaire playboy, Rob Pattinson played him as like incel well, loner, basically. Like and so I actually think that even that weird way he played, like he played him as a bit of a weirdo, and yeah. I think that weirdo could have gained access. <laughs> <laughs> he did, but he did, right? He turned he did. up. You're right. He yeah, did. you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um. Anyway, <laughs> okay. like, you know what? That does raise an interesting point because this is one of those Batman movies where. I think he spends most of his, his time as Batman and not that much of his time as Bruce Wayne. Well, he that... spends all his time as Batman because Bruce Wayne doesn't exist as a character, really. There's no difference yeah. between the two people. Like, it's just Batman all the time. No, oh, that's true. <laughs> that's true as well. Um, because I just think that you've got to respect your audience's time. And so... It, you don't have to put a romance in just for the sake of having a romance. Like, even someone like me, who enjoys a romance, would not have needed it in this film at all. Like, this film is not about romance. Yeah. It's not necessary. But look, she was good. I, I felt like she was she good. She was good. Yeah. Like, she has... <laughs> Sorry, go. Sorry, I was going to say I don't have that much time to say. That's not really, the, that's not, that's not really what, what it's about. It's not that yeah. it's a waste of my time. But if you make me sit in a seat and paying this much attention, it is quite a tense film for that length of time. At some point, I'm getting a bit squirmy. And I think that takes away from the film. Yes, yes. I, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Look, I, I think Zoe Kravitz is actually a pretty good Catwoman. She definitely physically has the, like, there's something, like, quite you know, 
cat-like <laughs> about the way she plays her, right? Like, I, I think it's... Yeah. It, yeah, she's she's really good. And there is, like, as you said, there's actually really good chemistry between them, right? Yeah. Like, look, did they need to kiss, like, a billion times in the film? Probably <laughs> not, right? Like, you know, there was chemistry... There was that... that the, I thought the best chemistry scene was when, like, um, he is kind of, like, puts his hand to her face... And you think that, like, it feels like it's a bit of a creep thing to do, but there's tension there, right? And then it it turns out that it's just Bruce sort of adjusting the lenses in her eyes, right? I thought, yeah, that was that was a pretty interesting, like, fun scene, right? But then yeah. they kiss about a billion times, right? Like, I think she kisses him when he's a verge of death as well. <laughs> and I'm just like, you don't yeah. need to do this. <laughs> you don't need to constantly be doing this. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But look... The other thing is that I do feel like one of the key character moments for Bruce is when he stops her from shooting Carmine Falcone, yeah. right? So that that scene would be difficult to replace if the Catwoman relationship wasn't there. And I felt like that was an emotionally impactful scene. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's all part of the conceit, isn't it? That yeah. he's not killing anyone when yeah. he actually is killing gazillions of people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay, the the big disconnect moment for me for me in this film is basically the big car chase where what I assume would be like at least tens of people die in this explosive exactly. fireball on the fight in the freeway, right? And then Penguin causes that that crash, right? Batman and like, Commissioner Gordon corner Penguin, ask him a few questions, and they just walk away. As if the crash never happened. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, Jerry. I think it's because they wanted that scene of Penguin wobbling like a penguin. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you just killed like 30 people on the freeway, mate. Like, shouldn't you, as yeah. like the chief commission, well, like a policeman, shouldn't you bring this guy in? <laughs> anyway. Jerry. Jerry. Talk to me about yes. the narrative and Seven. Tell me why it's so similar well, to Seven, because I don't remember Seven. <laughs> well, first of all, you've got you've got um, a serial killer with an agenda. He's not a serial killer who's just killing for the sheer hell of it. He's actually got an agenda, and he thinks he's being righteous in prosecuting uh, this agenda to the most grisly of ends. So um, that's the first obvious point of similarity with Seven. Then there's also the visual similarity to Seven. So the unnamed city which provides the setting for Seven is dark and constantly beset by um, an endless rainstorm, just as Gotham City is in this movie. So um, the, the, the production design of this film is very, very, very reminiscent of the production design and cinematography in seven so seven the color palette was gray black gray black and red um so you had these you know grays and earth tones similar in this movie um uh, black and red very dominant in in the color palette of this movie and the entire car chase is color graded basically black black and yellow um and the you know so you've got these you know Killings which are, in a way, escalating in degrees of grisliness, perhaps um, none more so than the um, 
unspecified manner of the killing of the police commissioner. I assume, um, I assume what happens is the Riddler gets these rats to eat his, to eat his face off. Yeah. Um, and so you've got, you've got, you know, these really, really grisly, horrible deaths, just as in Seven. And the scene between uh, Batman and the Riddler at Arkham Asylum is very, very reminiscent of the scene in which Mills and Somerset in Seven are driving Kevin Spacey to the final uh, meeting spot where the box containing Gwyneth Paltrow's head is going to be delivered. Uh, spoilers for Seven, everyone. <laughs> um, so um, the, 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 there's a scene in, in, the, in the scene in Seven, Spacey is alluding to the fact that, you know, this is his life's work and there is a piece de resistance about to come and it's going to seal him in the history books for all time. And Mills, played by Brad Pitt, keeps telling him, you're just a sideshow freak. Um, you're going to be forgotten as everyone returns back to watching soap operas on daytime TV and you're just going to be a complete blip and footnote, barely remembered by anyone at all. Um, and... Batman and the Riddler have exactly that exchange. Batman mm. says to the Riddler, you're pathetic, you're going to be forgotten. And and um, that's that's what really... And that, that's what sets the Riddler off. That's when the Riddler realises that Batman is actually not his partner in this endeavour, in cleaning up Gotham City in some bizarre, twisted way. So there are so many parallels between um, this movie and... Seven, and they took me out of the experience of the film, um, which is not to say they, they ruined it at all. It's just that the, the whilst this movie was not, I think this movie was in many ways fresh. It was so faithful in its rendering of Batman, so faithful to the source material um, in, in that regard, and so um, visually true to um, you know great graphic novels like Batman Year One. Um, and the long Halloween, long Halloween, and this whole yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the movie even begins on Halloween night. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so it, 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 that that degree of faithfulness to the source material is something we've never seen in a Batman movie before. And, and as, as much as we thought we had seen something close to it in in the Nolan movies, it turns out that there was actually a great gaping gulf between his Batman, as great as it was and the Batman of the source material. This uh, movie really narrows the gap, and to that extent gives us um, aspects of the Batman we've never seen in a live-action format before. Yeah. And so I, that I, was great. Yeah, I, I agree the with that. The problem is you step out of the cinema and you think, that was awesome, but it's derivative in another, in another respect, and that is the extent to which, B for B, it, it's so similar to Seven and maybe okay. even Zodiac. Yeah, so I'll, I'll respond to that. So I think, like, so I don't really remember the interrogate... Look, I, I I remember watching Seven once, and it was such a troubling film that I kind of didn't really want to watch it again, right? Um, I think for me, though, like, I loved that Riddler interrogation scene. For me, that was, like, the high point of the film. And um, I, I feel like... You know, there are layers. I think the reason that scene also works really well is not just because of, like, this intensity between Batman and the Riddler, but because 
there is this other layer to the scene where Bruce Wayne actually thinks for most of... There's, like, basically both sides are completely misguided about what is going on, right? Because Batman goes to that meeting thinking the Riddler is about to unmask him and that the game is up, right? And the Riddler thinks that Batman is coming to that meeting to basically congratulate an ally, right? So... that's what I kind of loved about that scene. Yes, there's, like, a level of intensity. Yes, the acting is really great. Yes, it is about, like, the detective and the criminal coming face-to-face. But what is great about this film is that it's... Both sides are completely misguided in that interaction. And they both kind of come to the realisation of their, like, their level of mistakes. But but the mistakes don't meet. It's not really a debate, right? That that, that one is actually about concerned about his identity. And the other one is like, oh my God, you you actually haven't been working with me for the entire time. I I love that. I, I thought that was like a really original part of this film. It really was different. Like, it was different from that Heath Ledger, um like uh, Christian Bale scene because that Heath Ledger Christian Bale scene was basically the Joker psychologically tormenting Batman, right? And it was like the physical versus the psychological. This scene was like really different. This scene was actually just... It was, the crux of this scene was about like complete misalignment, right? Which I loved. I, I thought that that was really good. So like, I guess to the extent... Look, I haven't really rewatched the seven scene, but I don't know if that sort of misalignment occurs in the seven scene because I, I think that actually does add a different layer to this scene. Um, but look, the other thing, 100% I agree with you, is that visually, and even from a narrative perspective, yeah, this film is closer to the comic books than we've ever had, right? Because, you know, Anager, Mags, and I have talked about kind of some of the goofiness of the narrative. But, you know, in some ways, it kind of is like, I was okay with it on a certain level because it's kind of like you find a little bit of that goofiness. Like, it takes itself very seriously, but on some level, there's a, like, if you really think about hard about it, there's a level of goofiness to it. That is 100% comic books, right? Comic books take themselves super seriously, but then if you really dissect their stories, they're kind of goofy, right? So I was like, yeah, that, that kind of works, right? Like, in that sense, it's like, yeah, this is, this is like a genuine comic book movie. And then the other thing, Jerry, that you talked about was the visual. Um, we've never really seen, like, I don't know. There's, there's something about the visuals of the film because it is. Mag said at the beginning of this, it felt very stylized in a noir sort of way, right? And she mentioned the cyberpunk aspect. Um, I, I, I get what she's trying to say. Like, there's something. It feels like. It feels painted, right? It, rather than I don't know. I don't know if I'm using the right words here, right? But um, I think, as a contrast, you look at the Nolan films, and the Nolan films almost feel like a documentary. Like it, it feels like a very realistic interpretation of the physical world, right? As in, like this, this, the 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 shots that he takes and all this type of stuff. All of it is feels very grounded. While in this film, it sort of treads that balance between, like, you know, painted art and realism in a really sort of interesting way. Like, Gotham City is, like, a really interesting place. It's kind of got this gothic architecture mixed with, like, real-life sort of modern city vibes, right? Like, 
I think they've done, like, from a visualization of the city perspective, I think they've done a really, really, really good job. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd be interested in other people's thoughts about this. Um, like, did you guys like the design of the other stuff, right? Like, did you like the design of the car? Did you like the design of the suit? Jerry, Anja, Mags? Yeah, I thought that was part of the I thought the car was awesome. Yeah. I thought the, the car was awesome. I thought it was hilarious that it was this basically souped-up monster car, this souped-up this souped muscle car. So it could have it could have come out from from a Fast and Furious movie. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and 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 it, and it had it had such great sound, and it wasn't like at least and, and it wasn't a tank, right? Like the, the thing the thing about the Nolan uh, Batman movies is the the um, the Batmobile was 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 a, was a tank, and it had to be something produced by Wayne Enterprises. What, but, and and so, you know, the idea of Batman doing this, you know, pro- producing something like that surreptitiously was something that the, that Nolan could never go in for. And so, it actually becomes a plot point in The Dark Knight that you know the, the blueprint for the Tumbler actually exists within the rec- books and records of Wayne Enterprises. Yeah. Whereas this suit-up muscle car is, is something that a bloke with a lot of time on his hands, you could kind of imagine making. So I like that. Um, the, the, the costume, uh, I'm not sure about the cape having a collar. Yeah, can, can I just say something about the costume? I, the, the collar is the one thing, because I love the costume. I love the armor, right? Like, as a... Look, I'm a giant robot mm. fan, and I love that sort of mechanized armor design. I think it looks badass, right? Mm. The color is the one thing that is a bit weird, right? Like, what, what? Okay, things that are weird for me about that costume. His mask looks looks like it's made of cloth, so everything about him is bulletproof, except his mask, which has stitches in it, which I found weird, right? I was just like. Wouldn't you have the like the the like bulletproof mask as well? And then the collar feels weird. I, I know that they're hearkening to I think one of the Batman like of like I don't know Earth whatever it is Batman right? I think the Thomas Wayne Batman has the collar. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I think in Flashpoint there's like a Thomas Wayne Batman, and I think that one's got the collar. I can't be sure, but um, yeah, I wasn't so sure about the collar. What do you think about the um, parachute suit. <laughs> I hated it, by the way. I didn't yeah. like the parachute suit. Well, look, no, no, I, I, think, I think the whole point of it was that it was a bit goofy, like to see Batman <laughs> flying around in, in, the, in the squirrel suit. Um, yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it, it is, this is meant to be early in his career, so he gets up to the top of the building and he looks shit scared, which is something you've, we've never seen on, the fa- on Batman's face uh, when he's standing atop a really tall building, like time after time in the Nolan movies, you see Christian Bale's Batman standing atop a skyscraper, uh, a brooding sentinel looking out over Hong Kong or Gotham City, and looking completely comfortable as if as if he were a gargoyle. Yeah. Whereas Batman is up there looking scared and then zipping himself up into a squirrel suit and looking like a bit of a punce doing it. Yeah. So like I, I was I was I was okay with that. I thought that was like. That was that was a sign of how you know early in his career, you know he didn't have everything down pat, no pun intended. Yeah. So, um, so I was I was fine with that. Yeah. Did you guys find it a bit weird that he's 
zooming around on a motorbike wearing a hoodie and then um, somehow, miraculously, most of his suit is in his backpack. Did yes. Did you guys find that weird? <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that outfit looks like uh, it would require more than a backpack to... Uh, <laughs> More than a small backpack to fit into. Yeah. Maybe maybe he's got lots of maybe he's got lots of lots of bat suits sort of posted in different hidden locations all around the city. <laughs> yeah, I mean I gotta say, it did it was weird, right? Because the suit looks more packed out than any other suit. Right? All of the, it looks mechanized, right? From that suit looks mechanized, which is why I love it, right? But it feels like if it's almost a robot suit, you can't really pack a robot suit in the back, in your backpack. But anyway, I'm going to also put it out there. I did not love the Batmobile. I, look, I have bought the Lego Batmobile of every leg, every Batman Batmobile that's been put into Lego form. I've bought, and I don't think I'm going to buy the the Batmobile Ooh, on this one. Yeah, that's big. That's a big call, Darren. That yeah. is a big call. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I think you might buy that. <laughs> Adisha, you know me too well. I'm just, I'm just saying this on the, on the podcast for like for effect. It's already on order. <laughs> but I mean, because I, I felt like okay. The thing about that Batmobile was the back was all, like, sci-fi business. And then the front was just, like, Don Toretto's car. It felt so weird to me. I was... <laughs> I did like it. <laughs> anyway. Oh, okay. Um, Jerry, was there anything else you wanted to um, talk about in terms of the style of this film? Because I know that you said you really love the comic book style. Was there anything that we haven't discussed yet about the style of this film that you'd like to talk about? Um, no, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think. I think everything that's been said about the the style of the movie um, that could be said um, has been said. I think I've, I've touched upon you know the color palette and um, and the rain and the griminess of the city and how reminiscent it is of the Gotham City of Batman New One. So that that's um, that's all been covered. I think one thing I want to touch upon quickly is they. Um, there's a, this, there's like a relative dearth of action scenes in this movie. Um, there's, there are a couple of punch-ups, and there's the car chase, and there's the big sort of um, finale. But um, there's actually not that much by way of action in this movie, I, and, and I didn't mind that. I was quite, I was quite okay with that because I found, I found, for the most part, the story to be sufficiently absorbing um, for there not to be any need for an action scene. And if anything felt superfluous, it might have been. The car chase, which, as much as I enjoyed it the first time round, the second time round, you're like, "Have you hey, seen this, this film twice?" This car chase. Have you seen this yeah, film seen twice already? Twice. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Gerald the second time wait. round, I was like, Gerald couldn't wait the extra week we had to wait, and so he went off and watched it on his own. <laughs> oh, watch! <laughs> I went to watch it. <laughs> Jerry, keep going. Yeah. Okay. Like, so the second time round, like this car chase was like pretty badly edited because it's really hard to understand where the two cars are spatially related to each relative to each other and whilst it's very visceral in the sense that you feel as if you're in the cars because the, the, the camera's constantly mounted on um, a side mirror or just off the just off the door or just by the tire um, just by the wheel of these cars 
um, it's actually really hard to get a sense of the, the geography um, and the spatial elements of this car chase. Mm. Um, and so I felt as much as I enjoyed it the first time, if you wanted to trim a bit from this movie, the, the easiest place to trim would have been the car chase. The problem is if Matt Reeves had done that, I'm sure Warner Brothers would have said, hold on, there's like no action in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, and yeah. so I think the car chase was kind of obligatory. Yeah. And as a consequence, as exhilarating as it was the first time around to see, it, it felt kind of rote the second time around. Yeah, I mean, the problem, you're right, because the executives would have not signed off on a Batman film without a Batmobile scene, right? Like, you got to sell those toys, so we've got to yeah. have, like, the Batmobile chase scene, right? The big Batmobile scene. So, yeah, yeah. look, I agree with you. And, agree. And, and, and truth be told, like, the, the car chase does end, though, in a great shot, and that's the... The upside down yes. Batman with yeah. Kate billowing in the wind. Yeah, the that's trailer, the trailer huge, shot, right? That uh, trailer shot. Yeah, that's a yeah. that is an amazing shot. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I think, look, to this film's credit, right? I actually think that what has been proven through multiple Batman films is that every time Batman gets into fisticuffs, it actually, if you see it too clearly, it looks really stupid, right? Like I, I think in the later Nolan films, Nolan started filming Batman fight scenes much more clearly. And then, so you start seeing basically Batman do karate on people and it looks kind of dumb because he, he look he is really unwieldy because he's in a cape and all this type of stuff, right? He doesn't feel yeah. that like effective. The way Pattinson's fight scenes are shot are in a really like, it's like he's in a brawl, right? And basically the reason he's winning is because he's more vicious and he's in an armored suit. And I like that. I thought actually the fight scenes were really like the brutality of them was, you know, that, that really, I was like, yeah, okay, that, that hits the spot, right? That feels like how like the Batman would fight, right? And I felt like it really added to it because like in, in this film in particular, right? He, not as much as the um, as the uh, the Batfleck one, because the Batfleck one straight up just kills people, right? So that's a different thing altogether. But in this, Pattinson has this level of like brutality to his fighting that when you watch it, you're like, okay, I would understand if someone saw this guy beat another guy up, you would be scared, right? You would not want to mess with this guy, right? So I'm like, yeah, okay, that's that 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 works for me. Look, I know it's not very like morally correct or whatever. Let's let's put that aside. But it's kind of like, yeah, it, for the purpose of this film, I thought the fight scenes worked, right? And yeah, absolutely. The problem is with Batman when you, whenever you have to fi- a fight scene, it has to be in the dark. It has to be somewhat obscured because that's kind of the way he fights, right? He uses the shadow to like get the drop on guys. So yeah, anyway. Yeah, but this movie uses that to its advantage. That scene where he storms down the corridor. Uh, this dark corridor and the scene is only lit by the um, the gunfire by the um, the gunfire of people's uh, you know sort of semi-automatics. It's an incredible scene. It's an yeah, incredible yeah. It, shot. It's good. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's very very reminiscent of that shot of Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One. Yeah. Which is unsurprising given that Greg Frazier, who 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 was the cinematographer of this movie, also shot Rogue One. Yeah. I mean, the other fight scene that I really enjoyed as well is, like, when he gets off the subway, right? <laughs> when he gets off the subway and, like, yeah. he beats up the, like, the 
Joker-looking guys. That was a that was also a really cool fight scene. I thought that was it was like you know dragging in the mud sort of brawl. And I was like, yeah, okay, this this sets the tone for this film. It it works. It works. Um, okay, I want to talk about um just and I want to get your view on this as well. But um, I want to talk about how I felt like there was quite a lot of deja vu in this film thematically with the in terms of like with the other film the other Batman films that have existed right so I think in this film like just let me think about the themes that were kind of discussed in this film right there was the Bruce Wayne has a death wish and um, does not care about the Wayne family theme right that was kind of going through this film there was and this was this was a theme that was a huge part of the Dark Knight Rises, right? Like, the whole point of the Dark Knight Rises was that Bruce Wayne has a death wish, that he needs to, he needs to learn to live for himself, right? There was the theme of, um, you need to be more than... Like, to do this properly, it can't be about personal vengeance. It has to be about something more. That was literally the theme of the Dark Knight. That was the whole point of the Dark Knight, right? And so th- there's there's that in this film as well. There was another really big one that, like, I had thought about earlier and has kind of like skipped my mind. Oh man, sorry, I'm not a very good po- podcast host. I've, I, I there was another major Batman theme that, like, I was like basically deja vu in this film so anyway my point is that like did any of you guys feel like thematically you were watching a rehash of some of the like some of the nolan films and did that really matter to you is that not his character i had just assumed that was just like i had assumed the things that you're talking about that he has been shaped to not care about his family's legacy, more so about vengeance, and that he does have a bit of a death wish. I thought that was his personality, is it not? Yeah, but I just felt the way they picked out that theme, like, they they really <laughs> picked out that theme, right? And it was kind of like, it just felt weird that that theme was picked out, like, in the same way that, like, in the previous films, they'd also specifically targeted that theme. There's, like, right. lots of sort of, Batman related things right it was just like it felt right. weird the way those themes were treated were so similar that it maybe felt like deja vu maybe they recognised that that was part of what made Batman feel like such a gritty compelling character and they wanted to um, capitalise on that um, Yeah, because I don't know about the other, other parts of Batman because honestly the only Batman series I've been able to pay any attention to is is the Nolan is the Nolan um, Nolan ones and I love those. Like I yeah. don't just pay attention, but I love them. so maybe so I didn't realise that there was more to his character than the way um he was depicted in, in that series. So yeah. um but yeah, maybe they maybe that was a choice to let's 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 sort of borrow from what everybody loved about. Because even about- so the last thing, so I, I remember now, like, even this whole, like, in The Dark Knight, there's that theme, that huge theme of, oh, you've actually created us, right? Like, the villain, Joker, is like, you've created us, right? And I know mm-hmm. that in the Batman comics, there is that, 
idea of, well, did Batman actually create his villains, right? But again, in this film, this film basically is like, oh, you're the one who's kind of inspired us, right? And that was beat for beat, like the same discussion with the Joker, right? The Joker literally says to him, like, you're, like, you complete me, right? Like, you're the one who, like, brought me into existence. And then in the Riddler scene, Riddler kind of basically says the same thing, right? So it's like... Yeah, anyway, it's... Yeah, it felt... There were just there were just a few too many lines or themes... Like, the way some of these things... Oh, the other thing, right? The whole idea of the night is darkest just before the dawn, right? That is the theme of the Dark Knight, like the, the, the Heath Ledger Joker one, right? Mm-hmm. This, this film is like... It's the same thing, right? And that's why, like, there were so many parts of this film where I was like... This feels very, very familiar, right? Um, mm. So I guess it didn't really, like... I guess it didn't affect your experience, right, Anger? No, only because I had assumed that that was his pet... That was who he was, like a fundamental part of what made it... Just like how a fundamental part of Superman is that he's like a messiah. It's like, you know, he's very... He's, he's good. He's, mm. he's all about goodness. And when they changed that... Uh, people were unhappy with it because they'd changed his personality. So I just assumed that those those traits were just very inherent to Batman. I didn't realize that um, that wasn't necessarily the case. Well, it's more like, I think the char- there are certain character traits that need to remain faithful. It's just that as a filmmaker, you kind of choose to bring out certain yes. themes to the forefront, right? And it it just felt like he picked, like, all of those Nolan greatest hit themes and was like, bang, let's do them in the same film simultaneously, right? Maybe he did. Maybe it was a conscious choice. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry, did you feel that or not really? Um, Look, I I understand where you're coming from. I wasn't particularly bothered by it, partly because... um, it's these are these are ideas that I closely associate with Batman anyway. I mean, complaining about or criticizing a Batman film for exploring the possibility that Batman's appearance on the scene created these supervillains is a bit like saying, you know, the thing about this James Bond movie is, you know, he does treat you know women badly. <laughs> it's just like it's true, but at the same time, it's. It's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of built in, and it's sort of endemic of the character. And you either, you either, you either buy it or you don't. You either object to it, or somehow you can, you can, you can see see past it as as objectionable as as the as as the as the Bond thing is. So, like, I think I wasn't, I wasn't bothered by that and I actually was quite intrigued by the notion of a Bruce Wayne who's so broken that he can't actually act as Bruce Wayne playboy billionaire philanthropist during his during daylight hours because that that seems to me to have more psychological realism to it because, I mean, can you imagine how high-functioning you have to be despite the trauma you've been through as Bruce Wayne to be able to pull off the act of Bruce Wayne 
playboy billionaire philanthropist. But see, um, this this is exact like for me, right? Like it's like we have seen that Bruce Wayne though. It was a Bruce Wayne that he put forward in the Dark Knight Rises. That last film, Bruce Wayne, is basically yeah. the Bruce Wayne that we get in this film, and that's why I'm like, it feels, it feels like he's just taking the best bits. No, well, but, yeah. Well, I actually think I think I think it's different though. Like the the Bruce Wayne we meet at the beginning of the Dark Knight Rises, yes, is reclusive and yes, is a broken man, but he's reclusive and he's broken because of the events of the Dark Knight. In other words, it's because he's taken on the burden of the guilt and responsibility for. Um, Harvey Dent's crimes that he has retreated from the world whereas this Bruce Wayne is still so scarred by his parents' murder that he he can't actually he has he actually hasn't developed other aspects of his personhood you know he, he, he he's, he's, he's he's a person who's sort of he's, 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 he probably is anhedonic he doesn't take pleasure in anything he says he's got it he doesn't care what happens to him you know, as much as he, as much, as much as Sonia Carl tries to reach deep into him, he he is still by the end of the movie. As much as he sort of, you know, looks into the rearview mirror to see her her disappear over the horizon. As much as he's sort of attracted to the notion of a life with her, he still can't. He can't. He doesn't do it, and it's because he is an incomplete person. And this version of Bruce Wayne is more incomplete as a human being than any other live-action Bruce Wayne we've seen. Mm. Um, and I actually think that there's something uh, refreshing about that. that he's just, he's broken, he's, he, he, he's, he's, he's wearing still the wounds of his childhood, and he's so broken by that. Mm. Uh, whereas, whereas, you know, Christian Bale, Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne in The Dark Knight Rises, is is scarred by by something else, and also sort of physically beaten down by all the by the fact that he's got you know for instance no more cartilage in his knee and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and so I, I I think there is there is a point of there is a subtle point of distinction between um, Pattinson and Bruce Wayne from all his predecessors, which I think is quite interesting. And I'd like to see how like in in the sequels whether in order to be a symbol of hope, Bruce Wayne becomes Bruce Wayne. In many ways, this movie, if, we, if, if, if that's the story that eventually gets told, we'll look back upon the Batman and think this movie could just as well be, have been titled Bruce Wayne Begins. Bruce Wayne. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, Mags, actually, Mags, you were talking about this when we left the cinema. I think you had a similar theory to Gerald, right? Like when you were leaving the cinema. Did I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you were talking about how maybe... Anyway, look, I'll... Oh, I can't remember. Tell me. Tell me what I said. <laughs> I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, but you were, you were saying that maybe in the next film, like, our pats will bring out the actual Bruce Wayne, because... Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, because I felt like this movie, it was just really Batman. Batman lurking in the shadows, Batman in his cave. Batman with Selena, but who's Bruce Wayne? Um, so I just wonder whether, you know, at the end when he's, you know, it, it ends with the renewal program and the fact that that has completely broken down. You've got this new mayor. Um, maybe he's the next version, the next movie is about Bruce Wayne coming into the light 
um, and and he owns that role a bit more and, and sees whether or not he can actually push change through the persona of Bruce Wayne rather than in the shadows as Batman. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. I mean, that would be interesting because that would be, as Jerry said, a reverse origin story. That would actually be quite interesting and quite novel, actually, if they take that that angle. It'd be a very different film, though, <laughs> where philanthropy is the hero rather than punching people in the face. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Okay, one last... Is there anything that we haven't discussed in terms of these points that we brought out? I, I think we've discussed everything except Rob Pattinson. I'm looking at my notes. Anager was talking about how she loved the vibe of Rob Pattinson. Do we... Anager, firstly, why do you love Arpat so much in this film? And um, I wasn't expecting to love Arpat because Daryl kept referring to him as like um an uh, like a, I don't even know that, that that term is offensive, so I won't even say it. But like <laughs> an overly emotional uh, Batman, and yeah. look, I, I, if, it, if it felt too self indulgent, I wouldn't have liked it. Um, but I thought he he just captured. Um, he just captured a, a kind of pain really well without overdoing it. Like it was, I guess, because part of it is that underdeveloped, you know, character that he that Gerald was talking about. Like to me, that that speaks of the amount of pain he must have been in to have not been able to develop and instead uh, as a character and instead channel all his energy into the Batman side of things while the other side of him is literally withering away it's like a walking corpse when you look at him you know it's like there's the batman side which is strong and thriving and then the actual bruce wayne side looks like it's withering like a tree that's withering away Mm. and i just liked that he portrayed those two sides like very powerful and then almost like almost kind of weak. And I know you have that one scene of him working out with his shirt off and he's not meant to be weak. But yet that very pale faced sort of haunched over kind of thing, it, it did seem like it didn't look like, you know, like it didn't look like strength to me, uh, emotional or physical. Well, strength. Whereas that... Batman is both, you know, he's both emotionally and physically very like rigidly strong. Um and I don't know, I just thought he he seemed complex. You know, he brought out a, a complexity to it which seemed real. Like it could really have a lot of depth and that he could develop in any direction. Anything could happen with this character. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I don't, it's hard to put him to work. So you I'm liked Arfax's like emotional depth. Because I, I'll be honest, right? Like I know... Um, the workout scene in this Batman film was the weakest of the Batman workout scenes, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because, uh, Bat- Ooh, yeah, I don't know why they included that. <laughs> yeah, Batfleck was he like he had emotional depth. He was actually emotionally stunted. Yeah, but I like that he portrayed it that yeah. way, but yeah. it, it seems realistic and like he was in pain. Yeah, so I like that. It was Arthats, right? Because you think about the Batfleck Batman and Ben Affleck's Batman workout scene was ridiculous. He was like using chains and tires and like flipping like buildings over or whatever it was. And Arthats basically, look, I thought that the Christian Bale 
work out scenes were a bit anemic because all he's shown to do is like a few chin-ups and a push-up, right? But Arpats takes that to the next level where I'm not even <laughs> sure, like maybe he does half a squat and then he just goes <laughs> off back to brooding, right? Like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, Jerry, what did you think of Arpats? I thought Arpats was, was excellent in the role. Um, I really didn't, as I said, I, I quite like the idea of broken Bruce Wayne and, um, you know, I I think it's a, the the thing, you know, as one of the great things about Christian Bale's um, performance of Batman slash Bruce Wayne is um, his, his Bruce Wayne was, and I'm not the first person to have pointed out kind of a riff on the Patrick Bateman character in American Psycho. Yeah. And, (laughs) and so that was, that was, that was, kind of fun and and fitting given that you know christian bale played patrick bateman in american psycho but um but the it it it, it was such a there's such a point of distinction between batman and bruce wayne in the nolan movies and so he must be an extremely as i said before well-functioning at some level well-functioning person in order to pull that trick off whereas arpat's batman is is not so well functioning. He's deeply, deeply, deeply wounded. Um, and so I think he, he, he brought that out. And yeah, he looked, he looked really pasty. I mean, he looked as if he had not seen the sun for about six months. And that sort of anemic <laughs> quality to him, I think was, was fitting given, given everything else about the movie. Yeah. Um, given the way his character was written and given visually how the, how the film looks. It's, it's entirely fitting that, you know, Batman's basically, um, he's basically the crow. <laughs> Mags, what, what did you think of Arpats? Um, yeah, he was alright. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought he was better than I thought. Um, yeah, time will tell. I yeah. mean, I have a, I have a soft spot for, for Christian Bale as Batman. Mm. Mm. Me too. Yeah. Mm. Look, I I think, like, I I don't remember the Twilight movies well enough to basically make a call about whether Bruce Wayne was basically Edward from Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Anager watched the Twilight films, right? So, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, like, would you say that it was a similar performance or not really? No, not at all. Like, Edward from Twilight is cheesy and laughable and you can't take it seriously. And it's just like your your classic teen heartthrob when you're just a child and, like, you've got no idea. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. I didn't think the Batman was, was at all, like, trying to be rom- – it wasn't going at that romantic angle, yeah, you know? Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Look, I gotta say, I, I don't mind Arf Hats either, right? Like, I think he's done quite a few very good films recently. I think he's been shown to be a pretty versatile actor. Um, 
I do wish his workout routine would be more intense, right? Because I think to do what he does, like as the Batman, you actually do need to have a pretty intense workout. But apart from that, I think like, and look, to be honest, I've, I've actually watched some of the press interviews of Arpats and watching some of the interviews with Arpats makes me kind of like him because he comes across as a bit of a troll. And <laughs> I was watching like a bunch of his old Twilight interviews and 100% he knows, like, that he's in a ridiculous film, right? So I'm like, yeah, I, I think I actually quite like this guy, right? Like, I, I didn't really pay attention to him in the past, but, like, watching him doing the Batman press, I'm like, yeah, I, I think I quite like this guy. Just just work out a little bit, and, like, we're 100% simpatico. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Okay, is there anything else we want to talk about in terms of the Batman? Jerry, Anja, Mags, anything else? Uh, has the has sequel... Oh, oh, I was just going to say, has the sequel been confirmed or not? I don't know. That's Surely true. it's going to... I don't think I don't think, I don't think it's officially been greenlit, but <clears throat> given that yes. it's already made global, global bank of about $600 million, um, it's probably inevitable. Yeah. Look, I think, I'm sure it will be, right? And look, the reality is that I will probably add to that box office again. I'm genuinely thinking of re-watching this film at the cinema. So, um, yeah, like, I think... I think, though, there's been a TV series that's been greenlit based on this universe, right? Am I... Yeah, oh, it's, a, it's, it's about the Penguin. So Colin, Colin Farrell, uh, the unrecognisable Colin Farrell, will be returning Ooh. as, uh, as um, Oswald Cobblepot in uh, a TV series about the Penguin. Prequel or, or s- sequel? Um, uncertain. I think it might be a sequel. I think this is about how, with, with Carmine Falcone off the chessboard, uh, oh. the Penguin rises to ultimate power in Gotham City. C- can I can I just quickly talk about Carmine Falcone? Did anybody else find it weird that John Turturro was Carmine Falcone? I've only seen John Turturro in comic roles. I've only ever seen him in comic roles. It's so weird to see a guy who was in Transformers and in the Big Lebowski play the biggest crime boss in Gotham. That was a yeah, one yeah. casting bit. Yeah. That was so weird for me. It just when, was like, when, what? When, when, think, when I think John Turturro, I think the character of Jesus in the Big Lebowski licking his bowling ball. Exactly. Um, but he has played he has played dramatic roles, and certainly in um, the great. Uh, Coen Brothers gangster movie Miller's Crossing. He, he plays he plays a gangster, and okay. I thought he was excellent in this movie. I thought no, his I really sort of low key menacing Carmine Falcone was such a contrast to like Tom Wilkinson's 1940s James Cagney rendering of that character in Batman Begins. Yeah, I, I thought Falco- I thought Totoro was great in this movie. Yeah, I, I gotta say he 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 um definitely. By the end of the film, I was like, yeah, okay, he's... Di-. But it was, like, a bit of a weird disconnect at first. It, I, I found it hard to, like... But overall, I actually think... I mean, as a final point here, I actually think overall the casting was pretty good. Like, Jeffrey Wright was with as Gordon. Like, you know, I just felt, yeah, okay, so this guy's Commissioner Gordon. Like, the way he was written, the way he portrayed him. Like, to be honest, he felt like the Gary Oldman... Commissioner Gordon, I was like, yeah, okay, he's like a loyal ally. Great. Like, um, 
as I said, I think Zoe Kravitz was like really good as Catwoman, right? So, and you know, we've talked about Arpats, even like um, Gollum, uh, Andy Circus, I thought was a decent Alfred. <laughs> so yeah, like I, I thought the casting over. Were there any casting choices that people generally thought were bad, or do people generally agree with me? No. No. I thought it. I thought it was really well cast. Yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. Look. On that note, I think we're all a bit tuckered out talking about the Batman. Um, thanks very much, everyone, for joining me for a pretty interesting discussion. Um, we will be back with another film or something else at some point in the future. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for listening tonight, and. Um, Say good night, everyone. Good night. Bye. Ciao.